Welcome. You're listening to Latin Waves with your host, Sylvia and Stuart Richardson. Latin Waves is more than just hot rhythms. This is a show about community, about creating a culture that is inclusive and based on fairness. Because everyone deserves dignity, respect, and has something to contribute. A new world is possible, and it all starts with us. You are listening to Latin Ways. I'm your host, Sylvia Richardson. I am delighted to be joined by Jorge Martí. He's the Secretariat of Hensa, Venezuela. Welcome to our program, Jorge. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you, as always. Now, 2022 has been um, a year of many, uh, many significant events. You know, the war in Ukraine, the new um, installing of a president in Haiti via Twitter by the U.S., and which sounds ridiculous, but shouldn't surprise us for us in Latin America. So why don't we uh, start by maybe you telling us a little bit of the highlights that you feel we really sh ought to be paying attention to in 2022 that have occurred? Well, the, there are a whole number of uh, general processes that are taking place. And then there are some specific events that have also uh, developed in the last in the last uh, few months. If if you look at this, the situation from a more general point of view, we have now uh, come out of the COVID pandemic, or at least uh, the, the worst of it is is behind us now. But obviously, the economic, social, and political impact is still uh, remains. But but nevertheless, we are not we're not in a period where as as it was a year, a year ago, two years ago when there were lockdowns and uh, uh, restrictions to traveling and restrictions to production. And, and this affected really badly Latin America. Latin America was one of the, was the region in the world that was worst affected from, for, for, from the pandemic, both from the point of view of a uh, number of people who died in relation to the population and also from the point of view of the economic impact. Uh, millions of people have been uh, thrown under the poverty line Millions lost their, their jobs, tens of millions lost their jobs, and, and so on. But th this is now behind. However, the economy has not recovered by, by any stretch of imagination. Uh, and in fact, uh, at this point, when, when the economy hasn't fully recovered from the, from the pandemic anywhere in the world, we are now uh, tobogganing towards a new uh, recession. Capitalism is in crisis again. In the United States, they've already had two quarters of negative growth. Uh, the European Union is following suit. This will have a massive impact in uh, Latin America. There's also an increase in inflation, which is driven by a whole number of factors, but it's obviously been accelerated by the war in Ukraine, the disruption of supply lines, the increase in energy prices, and so on. So this is the general panorama. And I think that what we will see is a retying of the knot with what was happening before the pandemic. If, if you remember before the pandemic, at the end of 2019, there were a whole number of uh, mass popular uprisings in several countries, in Haiti, in uh, Puerto Rico, in Ecuador, in uh, Chile. And this was more or less this process of mass uprisings against the established uh, system, against the capitalist system as an economic system that doesn't work, against bourgeois democracy as com being completely discredited. Th that process was cut off, uh, cut across by the pandemic, uh, and it came to a halt 
temporarily. But I think that now we, we're going to see the same thing again. What's been happening in the last few uh, weeks in Sri Lanka with the mass uprising, we will see again in uh, Latin America. And we have already seen, in fact, even during the pandemic, we saw the national strike in Colombia, which lasted for several uh, weeks, the national strike in Ecuador more recently. Uh, and these, these movements, they, what they reflect is a deep rooted mistrust in the capitalist system and, and the attempt by the masses to look for a, to look for a way out. Now, if you're asking me about the most specific uh, events that have taken place that are significant this year, I, I, will, I will mention three. One, the national strike in, uh, in Ecuador, which was very strong, uh, lasted for nearly three weeks and uh, put, put the government against the, the ropes. And, and it ended up with a partial victory. Some of the demands were achieved, some others were achieved partially, and some others are still being negotiated. And it showed again that uh, the movement that took place in 2019 did not end up in a victory and will necessarily bring the masses back on the streets again. Number two, the election in Colombia. This was, uh, this was an historic event. The first time in the history of Colombia that a presidential candidate who calls, describes himself as a left-winger, Petro, uh, has won the election. In every single previous occasion where progressive or left-wing uh, candidates had attempted to, uh, to become president, they had either been killed or there had been uh, military coups and so on. So this is, a, this is a major turnaround for Colombia and one which I think is rooted in the national strike the previous year. It was the national strike that defeated, uh, that, that completely smashed the popularity of the previous president, uh, Ivan Duque, and uh, prepared the ground for this uh, victory on, on the, on, in, in the polls. And I think it's a, it's a very, very important change. Now, uh, if you look at the program of Petro, it's not a particularly, uh, not a particularly radical program. He's been described as a communist by the right wing, but it's not, it's not a communist and he never has claimed to. In fact, in his acceptance speech on the election night, he said, we are here to, uh, they say that we are here to abolish capitalism, but in fact, we are here to develop capitalism. And, uh, which I think is a very moderate uh, statement. But the fact that uh, he's been elected is, is very significant. And the movement that's behind him, the movement that propelled him to power, will want concrete resolution of the main problems that are affecting the working class and the majority in, uh, in uh, Colombia, that is the agrarian reform, the question of jobs, the question of education, the question of healthcare, corruption, uh, the question of paramilitarism, and this is going to be very complicated. This is a major, is a major change that has taken place in Colombia. Then, finally, n number three of the significant events that have taken place in Latin America in, in this year is the, the constitutional referendum in Chile, which took place last weekend, and that uh, had a result that no one was expecting. The opinion polls were saying that uh, the result was going to be close, perhaps with a slight majority for rejection of the new constitution. But in fact, in the end, those who voted against the constitution represented 63% of the electorate. And that needs to be explained. Why is that? Uh, and I mean, it'd be, it'd be a bit of a long explanation, but if you want a short answer, 
I will say that uh, they changed the election system. So now it became compulsory to vote. And this brought about 5 million people more onto the polls than previously. And uh, the big majority of these people voted against the new constitution. These are people who are not, not uh, necessarily very politically involved. Uh, they were affected by the propaganda of the right wing, had a scare campaign, scaremongering campaign about the new constitution, what it meant, and so on. But also, I think that uh, it was a defeat for the Boric uh, government and the, 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 the fact that the constitution was not very clear. The constitution contains, it's obviously an improvement on the previous one, which was drafted by uh, the Pinochet regime, but it's a constitution that contains a lot of grand sounding sentences about Chile being a social state of right, uh, being plurinational, uh, being based on parity, and a lot of very good, uh, well-meaning phrases, but it doesn't say much about uh, how to change the concrete conditions of, of life of the people who uh, rose up in 2019. It doesn't say anything about jobs, doesn't say anything about the ownership of the, the, the renationalization of copper and other national resources. It doesn't say much about uh, pensions uh, and so on. And so, and so these people who came to vote for the first time could, could not be convinced just by general phrases. They, they looked uh, around them. They saw uh, an economic crisis, very difficult situation. And a government that wasn't really dealing with any of uh, this. So I would say that the lesson is that the, this is a defeat of the postmodern left, a left which is left only in name and is more worried about symbols and uh, phrases and appearances rather than uh, going to the root of things and ch changing things from the bottom up. Uh, so I will say that. These are the general trends in the world situation and how they will affect Latin America. And on the other hand, I will say that these three events, the presidential election in Colombia, national strike in Ecuador, and the constitutional referendum in, uh, in uh, Chile, are the most significant events this year so far. Now, going forward, we have the election in Brazil, where Bolsonaro is going to be defeated. There's a uh, big trouble going on in Argentina. The country is on the verge of uh, bankruptcy. Economic crisis hit it very hard. Uh, and there's lots of other things uh, uh, going on. But I think that these are, these are perhaps some of the most uh, significant. One of the things um, that is very um, salient, uh, very important to me right now, is to consider the impact that the whole COVID pandemic and the shutdown of many uh, people's ability to make income has created, you know, and, and now as the, um, as the crisis grows, right, we now know that, the, as you point out, the U.S. has had two periods of negative growth. We know that usually the capitalists don't want to lose money. And these times of uh, crisis are very opportune times to increase the money for the capitalists. You know, they tend to raise taxes, which usually means the poor get to pay for everything and the rich get their loopholes. And, you know, a lot of people lose their homes. A lot of people uh, lose whatever 
security they have built up. Um, in in Canada, we're starting to see that with increasing um, tax taxes, uh, increasing taxation. We're also seeing that a lot of people were not able to recover and open up their business once COVID passed. And we're so um, I'm curious how things are going in in the UK because as we noticing a uh, turn to the right wing, you know, while you know some places in Latin America are turning to the left, it seems to me that in the UK we're going in the opposite direction towards a more uh, radical neoliberalist um, leader. Can you talk about that? Um, yes, in fact, you are right and you are wrong, I would say, because it is true that the new new government in Britain is more right-wing uh, than the previous one. M many people thought that you couldn't get much worse than Boris Johnson, but Liz Truss is, is, uh, is if, if anything, is, is worse. It's, it's obviously not better. And some of the people she's appointed to the different ministerial posts are really, uh, are really horrible uh, figures. It's a really right-wing, uh, reactionary, anti-immigrant, racist, uh, and you name it, they, they have it. And they're obviously uh, wanting to rule in the interest of the, of the, of the capitalist uh, class that they, that they represent. But at the same time, we, we have to understand that uh, Boris Johnson went he had to resign because he was losing all the uh, parliamentary elections, the partial parliamentary seats that were being contested. They, they, they were being lost. And so that, that meant that the, the, the members of parliament of the Conservative Party pushed him out. So he, he, was, he resigned because he was so uh, unpopular amongst the electorate that became a, a liability for, for his own uh, members of parliament. But in fact, the, the people who have elected least trust, and not, and not the public, uh, it's just a small number, but I think about 81,000 members of the Tory party that voted for her. That, that, that doesn't mean that the country has shifted to the right. The, 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 uh, the, the members of the, of the Conservative Party are swivel-eyed loons and, and reactionary uh, people. But, but that doesn't mean that the country thinks that, in fact, now, uh, the Conservative Party is at, is at its lowest point in the opinion polls that has been for many, many years. And what we are seeing now in Britain, in fact, is a wave of strikes. They called it the summer of discontent. And uh, this, this is a wave of strikes that started in June with the railway workers, then it was followed by the postal workers who are on strike today and tomorrow, 115,000 of them against the privatized uh, Royal Mail. Uh, but it's now spreading, this uh, summer of discontent of strikes, is spreading to sections that are normally not considered to be very militant sections of, of the working class. Like, for instance, there's, a, there's an all-out strike, indefinite strike, of the barristers uh, with, the, with the gowns and the white wigs uh, setting up picket lines outside the Supreme Court. It's quite, quite striking to see. And so what we see is that inflation, which is now very high, 10% uh, annual inflation we have in, in Britain, and it could reach 22% by January, uh, is pushing every section of the working class to come out on strike and to, and to fight for, to, to maintain the living standards. Anyone who doesn't go out on strike and is maintained on contracts that uh, have only increased by maybe 2%, then they are losing 
they're losing out, they're losing their purchasing power of the wages. And the government is uh, adamant that they will maintain a 2% wage uh, limit for public sector workers, which is going to push them, um, which is going to push them uh, to, to strike. Healthcare is now uh, balloting for strike, education, and uh, next weekend is the Congress of the Trades Union Congress, the, co the national conference, and a number of uh, motions are being discussed to coordinate the different uh, strikes. Uh, in, in Britain, a uh, general strike is illegal, but there's no nothing to say that the different sectors cannot con call for a strike on the same day. And this is quite likely the coordination of different sections on strike. Uh, and at this point, there's even 70% of uh, Conservative Party voters that are in favor of the renationalization of the energy companies, for instance, uh, which is the center of the, of the cost of living crisis, the energy bills. And I will say that this government of Liz Truss, who appears so radical to the left, will take measures that uh, might seem surprising in order to stop the increase in the electricity and energy bills. Uh, why? Because they fear that if, if they are left unchecked, the, the, the impact will be so much on ordinary working people that there will be a, an uprising, there will be an insurrection. And that the, so in order to save the system, they're prepared. They, they just said they're going to invest 115 billion uh, pounds in order to uh, to cap the energy prices. In fact, what this means is that instead of the consumers paying for the for the increase in energy prices, the, the government will give the money straight to the companies. So the capitalists never lose, but in this case, it will partially, very partially, alleviate the impact on, on working class families. And the reason they're doing this is not because they care about uh, poor and working class people, but rather uh, because they um, because they are afraid of this, this potential social explosion that will take place if these uh, energy prices were left uh, unchecked. So this is the situation in uh, in Britain. Yes, the government has shifted further to the right, but I will say that uh, the people and the, particularly the workers are preparing a very sharp shift to the to the left. You know, one of the things that I'm I'm curious is how has the war in Ukraine uh, affected um, Europe, in in your opinion, and what? How do you see this unfolding? I I will say that uh, what is happening in Britain now with this wave of strikes will be repeated throughout Europe in the next uh, period. U Europe is in for a very harsh winter because of the energy prices uh, and the massive increase of these energy prices and the, and the problems with supply, because now uh, Russia has said, well, if you, if you continue with sanctions on Russia, we will not supply gas. The European Union is acting in a completely irresponsible way. They're now saying they're, not, they're going to introduce a price cap on Russian gas, not only through the, through the gas pipelines, but also liquefied uh, gas that also comes into Europe. And the Russians are saying, well, we're not going to sell our, our gas below the price that the market is uh, fixing, which is uh, quite logical if you think about it. And this means that the, there's going to be very serious consequences for the people in whole Europe. In Switzerland, they just introduced a new regulation that anyone who hits their homes over 19 degrees will be fined. This will become illegal 
in Germany, they're going to introduce warm banks, which means that uh, public buildings like libraries, uh, COVID vaccination centers that were opened or schools will be opened, heated by the state so that people who cannot afford the energy bills, they, can, they don't have the money to uh, heat their own, uh, to keep their homes uh, warm, can go there and keep warm for a few hours a day. Uh, it's a situation of a national emergency. They also talking about rationing uh, energy to companies. Many, many factories will have to close down or work uh, shorter hours because they don't have the energy. They don't have the energy uh, or they don't, they can't pay for it. Uh, hundreds of thousands of small businesses in many countries will go bankrupt because, because of the energy bills. There is a situation of national emergency, and I'm, I'm thinking that in the next period, the European Union will have to intervene. And in the same way that the British government is dedicating 100 and 115 billion pounds, the Europeans will have to invest a lot of money in order to prevent a massive social explosion. Last weekend, we saw a big demonstration in the Czech Republic. 75,000 people marched. Uh, under a very confused number of slogans, and some of the, the, the people who had organized this demonstration were far-right organizations, but the main slogans were for uh, negotiations with Russia, an end to the war in uh, Ukraine, an end to sanctions to Russia, and this, this question of the cost of living uh, crisis. This was mixed with all sorts of reactionary ideas, but the reactionaries in uh, the Czech Republic had only managed to get a few thousand people, maybe 2,000, 5,000 people during the summer. And now they got 75,000 people to come out. People are very worried about what's going to happen this, this uh, winter. In Italy, there is, uh, has been a major government crisis, and now a right-wing a right government will come to power, which is more skeptic about the question of war in uh, Ukraine. So all of these things are happening. And uh, although there's a certain element of confusion, what is clear is that people are growing more uneasy about uh, the impact of the cost of living crisis on, on their own uh, pockets, on their own families, and there will be a, a reaction. In some cases, it will take place in the form of strikes, like in uh, Britain, where workers will want to recover the lost ground in terms of the wages. In other cases, it will come through popular movements, mass demonstrations. And when the same governments are dedicating millions of pounds to save the energy companies, and they are saying that we are fighting in Ukraine because of our own interest, people, people will start to say, well, I mean, it is not our interest, this, this struggle in, uh, in Ukraine. It's just in the interest of the ruling class, and we, we don't want it. So the, the mood is changing very rapidly everywhere in Europe, starting with this cost-of-living crisis, but it will develop into, into other things. And this comes at the time of global crisis of uh, capitalism. I, I think that the, the ruling class is very worried, and they will need all the institutions that uh, have any prestige in order to prop up the regime. There are some uh, bourgeois economists that are talking about how this crisis combines the worst of the 2008 crisis, which was mainly centered around the question of national debt, austerity, and so on, and the worst of the crisis in, in the 1970s, where, where it was centered around the question of inflation, economic recession, and so on. This is going to be a crisis that combines recession, 
uh, inflation and uh, high debts of, of the states, the households, and the companies. It's going to be a major disaster for, for capitalism. And I will say we have to uh, struggle so that this time we, we don't come out of this crisis. The, the ruling class will always be able to come out of this crisis by making the workers pay. So this time, I think we, we should make the capitalists pay and we should put an end once and for all to this uh, outdated, rotten system, which uh, which can only bring climate disaster, exploitation, imperialist domination, racism, and all the other all the other evils of of capitalism and, and imperialism in this epoch. It's it's about time. As we come to an end, can you talk a little bit about you know Venezuela's victory against empire because it has been massive uh, aggression, uh, invasions, and Venezuela still stands as an independent democratic country. Yes, it's uh, three years. The, the, the coup in Venezuela started in 2019, the, the most recent one, because there's been quite a lot. But the attempt of the U.S. administration to impose a, a person, Juan Guaido, who, whom they wanted to recognize as president of uh, Venezuela, and this completely failed. Uh, and I would say it's a combination of different uh, factors. One is the, the stupidity of the opposition in Venezuela. The, the, opposition, the Venezuelan opposition is so aloof, is so based on the small minority of the ruling class, so out of touch with the, with the people of Venezuela, so attached and dependent on U.S. imperialism that is unable to carry out any any decent uh, attempts at overthrowing the regime. But but this doesn't mean that this was not dangerous. It was very dangerous. It was very well prepared. They had links within the army, and above all, they had the support of the United States. And the United States is still the, the most uh, powerful imperialist country on on earth. If you read. Bolton's uh, book, The Room Where It All Happened, which is just uh, published, he explains very in much detail how they how they prepared this coup. Uh, so, the, the, one of the reasons is the stupidity of the Venezuelan opposition. But another one, I will say, is the enormous reservoir of anti-imperialist feeling and revolutionary feeling of the Venezuelan uh, people. They had gone, they have gone, they're still going through uh, a lot. Uh, because we should, shouldn't forget the sanctions are still uh, in place. Uh, there's all sorts of sanctions, but particularly on the oil uh, exports, although they're now starting to uh, open up a bit in relation to that, because they need uh, oil in, in the context of the Ukraine uh, war. But um, yeah, the, the Venezuelan people have uh, very strong anti-imperialist feeling, quite rightly so. And this uh, was a major factor in preventing the success of the opposition and imperialism in overthrowing the government in, in Venezuela. And uh, that, that needs to be celebrated. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for all the ways that you keep us not only on the pulse of what is happening, but also to the importance of organizing and mobilizing and being in, in, you know, in the path of creating life, right? Not, uh, not just going along with the imperialist death path. So thank you again for being with us. How can people access your work? 
Yes, it's a pleasure to be with you. And, uh, and uh, well, I'm I'm the secretary of the Hands of Venezuela campaign. People can check out our our uh, social media and website at handsofvenezuela.org. I'm also uh, an editor at uh, In Defense of Marxism because we think that without revolutionary theory, there can be no revolutionary movement. We need to uh, understand and analyze. Not only the way the capitalist system works, but uh, the failures and successes of, of past attempts to uh, overthrow it. And so uh, people can check our work also on Marxist.com. Uh, and I will encourage uh, everyone to get involved in the movement against this uh, system, uh, to find out, to think, to reflect, uh, and above all, to organize, organize against this uh, rotten. Thank you again for being with us. Take care. It's a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Latin Waves. Latin Waves is an independently produced syndicated radio program made available for free to campus and community radios and also to the world at latinwavesmedia.com.